from the hill country of Texas, this is One Radio Network. And a very pleasant good evening to you. And a strange thing is happening in Dripping Springs on this Wednesday, March 11. There's wet stuff falling out of the sky. I don't know what it is, but it, it might be water. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. I hope you're getting a little rain where you are, not too much. But we're going to talk about things that fall out of the sky. Dollars and money and the real world of money with Andrew Goss. He's a currency historian. He's a nationally recognized one of those guys. And he's an author of The Secret World of Money. And Uncle Sam cooketh the books from the East Coast. Mr. G, how are you, sir? Fabulous. Fabulous. Well, I take notes throughout the week, and then I, I have so many notes, I don't even know where to start. It's like, it's, it's, it's like a buffet. I know what you mean. It's like a buffet. So five minutes before I go on the air, I heard someone talking about slicing and dicing all of these CDOs and all this other stuff, and then packaging and repackaging them and slicing them and selling them. And it's one of the reasons why things, as they say are not really getting much better because nobody knows what the hell's going on and how much is out there. Do you agree with that uh, assumption? Indeed. I don't even think they knew what credit default swaps were mm-hmm. until you know suddenly everybody's starting to ask what these things are. And CDOs, that's another thing. People, again, you know, talk about them, but they don't know what they are. So unless you understand the way that these tranches are made, mm. the way that they divide up the risk in a portfolio... They'll take, you know, 100 mortgages and put them together and sell the riskiest part of it based on an actuarial formula, not based on any real piece of paper, but based on a formula. And so how do you then define the ownership of the entire package when you have different people owning portions of it, you see? And then so they they might have 20% over to China and 10% here and whatever. Well, it's not so much that, but that is that. I mean, Mm, that goes on as well. You get different tranches, yeah, and, Mm -hmm. and people who want high risk say, okay, well, look, we'll take the first 100 mortgages that default. You can write them off of our share. But for that, in exchange for that, we want a higher return. So by using the bundle of mortgages as their base, so they grab a bundle of mortgages and they form a company. And and in the case, the company is represented by these securities. And these securities are issued based on different tranches of risk. So the most secure portion, the last one to, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he gets a lower return. And let's say they get the whole uh, package, the whole portfolio at an average rate of 7%, and they sell the riskiest 100 loans to one guy and pay him 8 or 10% or 12%, and then the safest component of the loans, they sell that to another guy and pay him 3 or 4%. And so the guy that's getting the low return never has to risk. He's the last guy that they say, hey, you lost your money. But the f- guy who's getting the highest return, he's the first guy they turn to when the mortgages go bad. Uh, it's like making sausage, and you don't really know what's in the sausage, but you buy a piece of the sausage. Well, yeah, sausage isn't bad, and the return, see, this is the thing, people are actually paying their bills, and so as long as the return is coming, Uh then the instrument is technically good, Yeah, and then this is the real key to it all. But we don't really, or do we know, Andrew, how much is really out there that could be stinky sausage? 
and oh, all of that. I mean, we no. don't really know, do we? No, no, no. It's, you know, every now and then they stuff one sausage with something that you really wouldn't want to eat. <laughs> and, you know, you, the rest of them are all perfect. So is that why Geithner and the boys, that they're, they keep talking about, are we going to isolate these into bad banks? And they want to maybe get all these bad sausages and put them just in one big pile. Yeah, and they kind of know where the bodies are buried. And they do need the cooperation of the banks in helping them unwind all of this. Mm. So, essentially, what they're going to end up doing is bailing out institutions uh, that the taxpayer would be mortified if they knew that they were getting taxpayer money. And I think that's the unwillingness, hence the unwillingness of the Federal Reserve chairman to actually tell Congress where the money's going. Because I think if we knew, you know, that's the other thing they say about sausage, right? right, right. If you knew how they made it. <laughs> if you knew it. how they made it, boy. Yeah. Well, I think it's fair to say, isn't not, Mr. Goss, that the taxpayer, if they had an inkling of really what's going on, if they heard this show, they would be they would be marching in the streets anyway. Yeah, bolting for the door. <laughs> bolting for the door. What is this thinking thing called a dollar here? Yeah. Let's invite the folks in. 888-663-6386. That is 888-663-6386. Get in early. Got to feel like we're going to be jamming because I have a handful of emails that came in, Mr. Goss, in the last couple of days for you just to get on in line. Mm. People are wanting questions answered. So let's kick off with one. Patrick and Andy, Andy said recently in regards to the stimulus bill that the spending needed to be wasteful. Could you further explain why? Awesome show, Chris in New York. Why would this, why does the spending need to be wasteful in this stimulus bill? Because if they, if they, if they did spending that was productive, then the worthlessness of the money would be revealed. Because well, because you're increasing GDP and you're actually adding something to the economy. So, so that's how that's how inflation uh, rears its ugly head. Indeed, that's yeah. how actually inflation is prevented by destroying the portion a portion of your capital. You know, this, believe it or not, is one of the primary reasons for war. You can just bomb holes in the middle of the desert, and what you're essentially doing is destroying a portion of the productive wealth of your citizens, and thereby <laughs> increasing the value of it or supporting the value of it. So the worthlessness of our paper money would quickly be revealed if everybody just got to keep money and spend it, and then on top of that, uh, money that the that the federal government is putting into circulation through debt issue that also being productive would quickly reveal that's actually a maynard Keynes uh, quote about the holes uh, yeah, yeah about, yeah. about uh, quickly revealing the worthlessness of paper money so it's important that you gather up a certain portion of the money and destroy it otherwise if you keep creating it at the other end you know the worthlessness of it will soon be revealed so that that's the whole theory and, and if you if i understand then if you create it and then you do something really productive that that causes more dollars out yeah, there. That, that, that causes inflation. It, as that well. causes the inflation yeah. exactly. So the purpose of this activity is to actually destroy uh, uh, wealth or, or produ- productivity, mm-hmm. not to enhance it. If you enhance it, then you're going to ec- put fuel in the fire. Mm-hmm. You, you make make the inflation that much worse. Uh, Timothy Geithner also said, uh, I think he was on the Charlie Rose show. I read somewhere last night. A lot of people were quoting that show with Geithner on there said that the the banks really need to just uh, 
Well, the banks are telling the government to get out of our life. Just because you gave us money, you can't tell us what to do. And there's actually there's banks that want to give some of this money back. Have oh, you absolutely. Been they yeah, say, they I don't, don't want, want your stinking money. Not if i got to play fair. <laughs> if I'm going to have to play fair, then forget it. Take if your $50 yeah, billion back. Man. If that's how you're going to be. <laughs> and, and, you know, my answer to this is I, I prefer to let the all, let all the banks just kind of do what they're going to do, right? Mm. And each of the 50 states should set up their own state bank into which they draw all of the state's deposits and then get out there and compete with these banking institutions for the business of the citizens of that state. So, so all the money that comes into the particular state, you're suggesting get a state bank of Colorado or Bank Texas of every state. And, and bank let, of your state. And let them do their thing. Yeah, and yeah, we'll, the bank of you know, your state will perform all the traditional banking functions. And most importantly, it'll hold the 30 to $70 billion that your state has on deposit with the crooks that are running the system now. Oh. You know, they're being funded, in effect, by your pension funds. I mean, you'd be, a, you'd, in whatever state you're sitting in tonight, mm -hmm. <laughs> you would absolutely be appalled at what your state is investing your money in. Uh, they're taking the kinds of risks with your money that they have no business engaging in, none whatsoever. So, and and you told me earlier, you've been looking into the Bank of North Dakota. That's what they're doing. Well, that's the model, Bank that's of North Dakota, model, yeah. since 1919. Uh-huh. And, and they're doing well, and they have money, and they loan bank to, uh, to, excuse me, they loan money to people and businesses in North Dakota. Oh, yeah, they have the best business financing program in the country. Really? If you want to open a business, wow. you go to North Dakota. They have a business development program. They have a guarantee program where they'll provide 85% guarantee to any bank that will make you a loan. Really? Up to $100,000, and it's simple. Oh. They have a PACE program where they'll finance your equipment for as little as five percent they have this first student loan in the country was granted by the bank of north dakota uh -huh. yeah so they gather all the state's money and they make four or five percent on it as opposed to taking the state's money and depositing it with goldman sachs or jp morgan that's what happens now. that's what and that's what happens now and then they get all that big piles of money and go out and take really wild gambles in an attempt to double it or triple it while they're paying the state you know one percent two percent oh i and see. then and instead of doubling and tripling it they lose it and so now where where's the crisis and this is happening because of the the uh, good buddy relationships between politicians and goldman and all that we've taken down all of the restrictions that were put in place the last time the federal reserve bank did this the federal reserve bank of new york has done this to us before but like we're all in another movie you know uh Crash part one was the, the Roaring Twenties from 1920 to 1928, the crash, 1929, then the deflation from 1929 to 1933, and then, of course, the inflation beyond that. So we've seen this before, and I'm just amazed that we're falling for it again. <laughs> Deja vu yeah. all over again. Yogi Berra. Uh, here is a question. Mm. Love the show. The question is, in the fall of 2008, Andy said the dollar strength was due to the Treasury selling $1 trillion in bonds. Frightening. This caused dollars from every hidey hole to rush <laughs> out out of the economy and eventually find its way on deposit at the Fed. I think, then, he, I think he quoted me on that. Yeah, that, that may, did you say that? Heidi yeah, Hope? it was close to that. Yeah. Okay, the, 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 the emailer says, well, that makes sense to me. 
Less dollars in circulation equals stronger dollar. Right. Then just a few weeks ago, and he said the dollar was strong due to the Treasury now buying back the bonds, thus flooding the economy with dollars. So I'm. Conf- uh, he didn't quote me on that one. I'm confused. Oh, so he misunderstood you. Yeah, unless I misspoke, because the Treasury wasn't, of course, buying the bonds. It's the Federal Reserve Bank of New York that's buying the bonds and the institutions affiliated with it. All that the Treasury is doing is issuing bonds. So it's putting the meat out there and the dogs are gathering it up. Oh, okay. I so think the, I think I understand that. Yeah. 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 Okay, the G- Sorry if I confused okay. you. The, the, the G20 is meeting next week and, and they're saying, "Do you know what guys? I think the the, the rest of the world should start Spending money like we're spending. Yeah, we're going to follow the plan. You know, everybody inflate at the same yeah, rate. That's it. That's so it. so yeah. is, is this going to be what this meeting is all about? They're going to say, everybody just do a stimulus in your country and let's have a party? They decided that last time, and uh-huh. I think this time they're going to compare their plans. Oh, I see. So they're just paving the way to this, huh? Oh, indeed. Yeah, yeah. they're paving us into a world uh, monetary authority. I see. And the Bank of England said today that, well, we just may have to use what they call the nuclear option. Yeah. Which, <laughs> wait, what do they call it? Uh, something easing? Yeah. Some fancy word. Yeah, they have a fancy uh, but, word for but it. But it really is new money creation. And and they, this article I read said it was the first time that the Bank of England are buying their own bonds from the government. I, I find that hard to believe. Is that true? Well, yeah, and this is that type of monetary policy that we were just talking about with the previous caller. Yeah, right? but, but, the, but the Fed has done that way a, long, a lot the of times. The Fed does that all the time. But the Bank of England has not. The Bank of England doesn't do it all the time. Really? Mm-mm. Well, that's, that's they run a, They run a tight ship over there. Really? Well, they, do, they, they drink a lot better stuff than we do. 888-663-6386 is the phone number if you would like to be on the show with Andrew Goss. My name is Patrick Timpone. 888-663-6386. I was reading a bit about uh, a book that a fellow wrote about Bear Stearns that I think we'll get on the One Radio Network and just talk about it. It was really pretty fascinating mm. how Jimmy Kane the CEO runs this thing, and and the reason he got the job because he was like a bridge partner of forty years ago. You know, he was a favorite bridge partner. But he was talking about how there's massive amounts of money, and you have alluded to this that is traded overnight, right? Uh, and, and and that's one of the reasons why Bear Stearns got into problem, like seventy five to one hundred billion dollars. Yeah, while back we're and forth, while we're sleeping. Yeah, and it's our money is the sad part. You know, they aggregated all piece at a time from everybody's checking account uh-huh. and uh and then loan it out overnight it's a frightening prospect and, and then is this one of the reasons why bear stearns got into problems yeah well bear stearns essentially got engaged in proprietary trading you know this has really been the downfall of all those guys that started getting out there and trading for their own portfolios if you will and that's how they got in trouble uh-huh all right here's another email this is from Sarah in Georgia. I have a question for Andrew Goss regarding how to protect oneself by creative refinancing of our home. Last week, my husband asked a question to Andrew about buying another home. We currently have our mortgage paid off. Your response to my husband was, ouch, we have lived in the home for 19 years. You said to take the equity out of the house 
But what do we do with the money? Put it in the bank, under the mattress. I don't want to borrow my own money and then have to be just sitting around and have to pay interest on it. Now, somebody else actually called me on this today, and I welcome your phone calls, incidentally. You want, you know, kick it around between us one-on-one. I'm happy to do it. Give them your number. 800-468-2646. So their dilemma was this. So they had, they were being offered 30-year mortgage money at four and seven-eighths. That is the equivalent of free money. Four and seven-eighths. Yeah. Free. I mean, that is so far below the rate of inflation Mm -hmm. as to be negative interest. Mm -hmm. Really, they're paying you to take the money. Because of the the inflation uh, of the monetary system. The loss in purchasing power. Now, even if you take that money and park it and roll it over in three-month CDs, T-bills, or any of the worst of the debt instruments, which is my least favorite option, that's why I say even if you do that. Even if you do that, when you get to the point where rates are over 5%, and believe me, they will be, Long before you pay back the 30th year, the rates will be exceed 5% over the next 30 years. You, all you have to do is move that money into a, a, a rate that's paying you higher than the 4.78, that you that you've borrowed the money for, and bingo, you're in profit from then on. This lady says, we want to buy a hunk of land with a house on it. Do we use our current equity or do we go into gasp debt and use our current equity to buy more metal? Debt is a blessing. See, now that's my favorite choice because as much as I like real estate, the only benefit to a real estate transaction is the leverage and the deduction. All right. With numismatics or with gold coins, you have to buy them, pay all of the money for them and then hold them. There is no leverage unless you borrow unsecured money and do it. So that is the only benefit to real estate and the fact that it's gotten the stuffing kicked out of it so it makes it affordable. I, it's a toss-up. You have to make your call there. If you can stand to be Mr. Landlord, I you know, I don't like that part of owning real estate. Um, I My coins have never called me from my safety deposit box to tell me that the pipes are backed up. You know, it's it's a pain being a landlord. But if you can stand it and you can actively manage your real estate, boy, that's where great fortunes are made. She says, I, I talked to my mortgage lender today. Hmm. We would have to put 20% down for a conventional second home loan yep. or 3.5% down for FHA. Exactly. We're, we're looking at a loan about under 200K yep. in the middle of the nowhere. Take as much mortgage as you can stand. Borrow all of the equity from your existing house. Park it in your checking account <laughs> if it makes you comfortable. Park it. Park it and use that as your operating capital. Use that to make your 20% down payment. Use that to make your monthly payments. Use that to do everything and then flow all your income into that account. If you manage it properly, you'll see the turn. You'll be in a profit position because the real estate value will increase. And additionally, every month that somebody chunks down your mortgage in the form of rent, you know, that's plus, plus, plus. They just keep reducing that principle. And ladies and gentlemen, we talked to a gentleman last night who has a website, a website excuse me, called earthship.net. Mm. And they build these homes. This guy's yeah, one like, of my clients lives in one. Amazing. Yeah, it's a great home. Amazing. And Andrew, they do it no matter what the climate, that's with right. no heat, yep. no air. Off the and they get And they get about $200 a year energy bills. Yes, if you don't choose to generate it yourself. Wow. <laughs> yeah. 
there's no reason not to use that type of uh, construction technology. And anything you can do to reduce your monthly consumption of anything is a good plan to add in general. Here is Val in Pennsylvania. What would be a clue that any of the companies like an Ameritrade might be in trouble? Well, TD, you know, if they get sold to an American bank, then you, you panic. You know, TD is uh, Toronto Dominion Bank, and they're Canadian bank. They're pretty strong. Uh-huh. I mean, if you you know if you have to go with somebody, uh, they're not bad. They're probably the safest banks in the world are in Canada. But would there be any clues that some of these uh, things are getting into trouble, or you just uh, would there would you know ahead of time? No, you really wouldn't. Mm-hmm. That you know that's not the sort of thing that uh, that you would ever see. But again, I would point to the regulatory environment for TD and suggest that uh, Meritrade's probably good. And remember, all of that, all of that activity that goes on there is not proprietary trading. The people that have gotten in trouble are the people that gather up money in the form of deposits and then gamble with it. Uh-huh. You know, they they go out there and plunge and underwrite stocks and buy futures and options and. You know, contracts. But they all do that, don't they? No. Te- no? Well, no, that's the oh, point. I see. Okay. See, you know, these uh, operations that act as a clear functioning house, that's all they do. <laughs> you know, they're sending your trade to the floor, and that's it. They're not trading for themselves. They're taking the commission on the trades that you do, and that's what they do. And, and those generally are safer than the ones that uh, are plunging for their own account. Obviously, the, the, this term of nationalization of the banks is is being thrown around sure. every day, all around. Yep. I mean, wh- what does that really mean? I mean, we're, isn't that we're doing that already? Aren't we? Yes, I mean, isn't we that are. going on yeah, right now? That's right. And don't you just love that? You know. Uh-huh. So we've nationalized uh, Citigroup for all intents and purposes, but only the risk. You know, not the profit. Yeah. Um, yeah, Citigroup, I, I think, what, the USG owns like 60% of them? Yeah. 60 or 70%? They own, yeah, uh, exceeding 50, I thought. Mm-hmm. Right? We could be wrong, but it's up there in the double digits for sure. Right. And um, the point is that we don't have any say in the management of the bank, although they are trying to put conditions on these uh, on this activity, which is why, as you said, the banks are trying to give the money back. The idea that we are taking equity shares in the nation's banks means that a great many of them have already been nationalized anyway. I'm opposed to nationalizing the privately owned institutions. But isn't that essentially taking over the Fed like you are a proponent mm, of because yeah. Citi owns the Fed? Well, yes and no. See, when you take take the Fed away from Citi is what I'm suggesting. Take the Fed away from yes, Citi. Yes, that's right. Take the Fed away from the private companies that control it. Well, what if you just buy the private companies that control it? Well, oh, yeah, you could, but, but that's not going to happen. What do you want right? them? But they're the big debt monsters. Let them. Oh, I see. You know, they have all the debt and all. Leave stuff. them alone. <laughs> Let them Let go. them sink. Mm-hmm. Let them do what they're going to do. And then, if you let the states establish again competing banks, next thing you know, the bankers will snap into line, just like they did when they responded to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and and uh, you know the Student Loan Association, and then Bank of North Dakota having to compete with these institutions, which are f- effectively providing banking services as a public service, you know, that really, that 
sharpens their competitive mind. And Mm -hmm. so they'll get in there and do what they have to do instead of feasting right now on taxpayer money is what they're doing. You know, every time a taxpayer institution of the state, a pension fund, a trust authority, anything of any quasi-government agency uh, takes money in, it deposits it with one of these giant companies that then essentially runs its operations from government money or from public money. That's just... It's not right. That segment of the economy is overly enriched at the expense of the rest of it. If you have a question for Andrew Goss, come in right now. 888-663-6386. Email patrick at oneradionetwork.com. Patrick at oneradionetwork.com. A total of 283 publicly traded U.S. companies, including many high-profile firms, are at high risk of defaulting on their debt payments. Mm. Moody's Investors Service said yesterday... Oh, they're getting out ahead of this one. Yeah. Now, now, um, why, why would these companies... Why, why are they getting mixed up in, in all this? I mean, is it just uh, all the negative stuff and people not buying stuff? And- well, yeah, once you count on an income stream to support a debt issue, and usually it's for a leveraged buyout. You know, if you look at all the LBOs that occurred, you know, the, taking the company public or private, it usually involved lots of debt. Mm-hmm. And then these debt payments were tied to projections, which evaporated. And so now... You know, they can't make their mortgage payment or their debt payments. You're going to see tremendous amount of restructuring, and you're going to see a lot of government intervention. Mm-hmm. So you already have that TALF program. You got the $130 billion to GE cap. You know, you'll see loan guarantees and combinations of loan funds to bail these institutions out, these corporations. This is not, this, is, this whole thing's not going to get any better. Are we going to have this conversation every week? Essentially, yeah. Um, you know, and we'll pepper it with, gee, did you see that rally yesterday? You know, that, yeah, with, did what, you see? 390 90 points. 90 points, yeah. you know, increased activity, confidence. You got Warren Buffett coming out there saying, uh, you know, you may have seen the bottom. And Well, that's what like I was going to ask you. Do you think that, that we bottomed at 65? Then? I thought we bottomed at 82, remember? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, I saw <laughs> Don't that. Don't ask this guy. Yeah. <laughs> the, the support range apparently is, you know, wherever they decide it's going to be, but the, but the reality is that some of this money is going to make its way into the stock market. There's too much of it entering circulation, and as it starts to seek out alternatives to the biggest bubble in the world right now, which gotta is go treasury back. debt, yeah, it's got to go in, some of it's got to go into the stock market. Yeah, yeah. Well, but we're talking, and when the, by the time this is all said and done, hmm. it could be seven to ten trillion bucks, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Now, now I, I just still don't understand why that the people that have to be as smart as as you are, well, not so, as, as I am, than I am I mean, you know, <laughs> as, at least as smart as I am, that they can see when you add $10 trillion to a $16 trillion money supply that the dollar is going to really get it hit in the fanny in the next couple of years. So how can the dollar still be so strong? Well, because until they get that $7 trillion in circulation, remember, the myth that the Fed creates money out of thin air is not entirely true. Uh-huh. They can only create it in response to a debt instrument. Okay. Now, those monetary finance guys will refer to pushing on a string. Mm-hmm. So if you if you look that up with the economics term, pushing on a string, you'll find the you know, general concept, you can't force people to borrow money. Mm-hmm. How are you going to get more money into circulation if you can't force people to borrow it? 
Well, when you have government that's willing to do it, then it's a moot point. So until this money actually makes its way into the circulatory stream, the dollar is strong because in order to get money into circulation, they have to buy every treasury bond they can get their hands on. That's the only way they do it. Here is another email for Andrew Goss. If you have one, Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. Now, Andrew has stated his resistance to the idea of hard money. I, I, are they, they must be referring to bullion. Yeah, well, the, no, the, the idea of a gold standard. Oh, okay. Okay. However, doesn't giving anybody the power to counterfeit, whether they are bankers of the government, guarantee that they will eventually do so? Yeah, yeah. So how is it possible to compete, they go on, with an entity that can print money while everyone else has to work for it? Right, right. right. I mean, th- I mean so that's I the basis of the gold standard. And yes, my fellow gold bugs out there, were we in a flat environment where we were neither plus nor negative, and every American was on level footing, and we were picking the ideal monetary system, I would indeed chain a standard dollar to either gold or silver. Would I insist that bank deposits be warehouse receipts? In other words, if you're getting a piece of paper or a credit from a person for depositing money in their institution, should it be a warehouse receipt? We have a silver dollar in the vault with your name on it. Mm -hmm. Or can it be a bank note saying, well, we promise we'll pay you a silver dollar? We might not have it right now, but we promise to owe it to you. That's a big difference. It is a big difference. And so if we're going to allow that... We don't have the silver dollar right now, but we promise to pay it to you. Then the only person who should theoretically be able to short silver dollars, because that's what they're doing, should be all of us collectively. So if, for example, the federal government, through our wise Congress, which we get to elect, and not to be corrupted by the influence of the banks who get to create the money now, they would, of course, want to spend money on some worthy project, whether it's a national emergency, a war, who knows what it is then they should have the prerogative to go short silver dollars, in effect, issue bank notes. And so from where we are right now, as uh, William Jennings Bryan said, you're not going to crucify me on a cross of gold. We are not going to a gold standard now. Not with the Federal Reserve a Bank of New York holding, you know, the biggest pile of gold in the world and the average American citizen having a little band around their finger, and that's about it. So to go to a gold standard now with the level of mortgage debt and consumer debt that's out there tied to a standard dollar from now on, that would be crucifixion for the American taxpayer and the death of the American Republic. So how do we merge? You know, like that movie Alien, you've got this mm-hmm. thing stuck to your face. Yeah, yeah. You try to clip <laughs> its nail and it's going to, you know, spew on you. Well, you have to get into that alien and take control of it and convince it to let go. And the only way to do that is from the inside, uh, and that, that's that's really the battle ahead. UBS, United Bank of Scotland, they Switzerland. Predi- uh, is it Switzerland? Yeah. They predicted $2,500 gold. Yeah, I read that report. Did you? Yeah. So everybody knows. I mean, it's like everybody knows. And what the <laughs> what the what the boys are saying is, oh, you guys be careful because we're going to jerk it around. You know, we've got you all mean, this what? we've got all this money to play with, so on any given day gold might go up a hundred bucks, might go down a hundred bucks. Don't you think it's just gonna go straight from here to twenty five hundred? 
And so you can expect to see lots of volatility, lots of whipsaw on the way up and down and up and down and up and down, which will keep a lot of investors from paying attention. So it could even drop to six, seven hundred bucks. No, no, no. It's not going to go down that. <laughs> no, I think we're at the bottom of the trading range right now. What was the top is now the bottom. You know that's how that works. So what we're correcting back to now maybe eight seventy five, but I doubt it. I think we've uh, we've punched below the number and just wouldn't stay there. My name is Patrick Timpone, and that's Andrew Goss, and this is OneRadioNetwork.com. The Washington Post, Andrew, here's another email. The Washington Post and other sources have recently been talking about a digital gold standard. What would this look like, and how, if at all, would this change the value of the fiat money we would have? You know, anything that doesn't involve physical possession of gold by Americans, uh, everybody loves. You know, the economists love it, especially if they can create fictional gold. The boys love it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They do love that. Oh, it's uh, because they can just create more of it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Would this be the eventual setup for the so-called global monetary system, digital gold? Well... You know, the idea of digital gold is long-standing. Uh, I think there was a e-gold in the early days of the Internet. I'm, forgive me if they're still around. I didn't mean this, to slight them. But, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is that pegging the dollar to gold seems to be the only thing that everybody in the world can agree on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was writing a piece on currency boards, which is how people respond. You know, a, call, a, a caller had asked us about three shows ago to how do intelligent people deal with hyperinflation? Mm-hmm. And one of the yeah, ways, yeah, 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 I remember that. One of the ways is pegging your currency to gold, and the other way is to form a currency board where you're pegging your uh, currency to other currencies. And so, it's my belief that the boys would would much rather have a basket of currency. And this is the proposition that they're going to make. A basket? A basket of currencies that creates a standard. See, we already have really a de facto standard in the SDR, which is the IMF special drawing right. So they already have a de facto standard. So the idea that you have an international standard unit that's made up of a basket of currencies, uh, like an index. How would that work? Well, it would work like you take a yen, you take a a dollar, you take a ruble, you take a euro, you put them in a basket, you average the value out, and that's what the value is. Average the the value? Yeah. I mean, against each other, Against each other. Okay. And then what do you do with that number then once you get the average? Then you peg, each each nation pegs its currency to that group standard. You know, Mm -hmm. that group bucket becomes the peg. So that's what you have to... And you're suggesting that's probably what's going to happen? Yeah. Uh That's a currency board idea. This is how they're going to resist the temptation to peg to gold. Uh, This is just not something that they can do. Is when this basket of currency thing, will this be good for us, the people? Nothing's good for the people. Uh (laughs) It never is going to be good for us. It's never good for us. No, no, it's never good for Uh us. The only thing good for us, I guess, is to own gold and silver and real estate and stuff. Something that's real that they can't mess with. Tangibles. You know, yeah. real estate, unfortunately, you can't really pick it up and move with it. Yeah. I, I've looked at everything. When I when this all became clear to me, <laughs> I looked at How everything. How long ago was that? Oh, gosh. 19. Well, look, I have a 26-year-old daughter who doesn't have a social security number. Really? Yeah. And she got through life just fine, thank you. Well, no, I wouldn't say just fine. I mean, it's been a struggle. But but the point is, I was aware of what was going on 30 years ago. And to me, it was almost crystal clear mm-hmm. where we were heading. Uh, 
So I made a clear decision that gold and silver coin is the only thing that I would invest my money in, and the bulk of my wealth is invested in gold and silver. That's coin. how you got into the business. That's why I'm in the <laughs> that's business. That's why you're yeah, in the business, not vice versa. Uh huh. Oh, that's interesting. So, so you somehow caught this vision long ago and yeah. just figured, well, if I'm going to support my family and make a living, this yeah. is this is the way to do it. Well, you know, it, it's all happened on our watch, right? Sure. You know, 71, Nixon closed the gold window. Mm -hmm. Until then, it was illegal to own gold. You and I couldn't even own it. Mm. We could, the only way we could have gold was to have a $20 gold piece or a $10 gold piece or a $5 gold piece that Grandpa put away for us in the 30s. Mint wasn't making it. There was no claim against it. You couldn't go to the Treasury and demand your gold. Silver dollars, even, till right? The GSA auctioned off the last of the silver dollars in 73. Mm. So this was all in, uh, on our watch. And then the first inflation wave that we caught from 77 to 80, I experienced that firsthand as a young father. And to me, <laughs> the only thing that saved me were my uh, gold and silver coins. Mm -hmm. So that was the, really the first recession that many people may remember is the one in 82. So what have you learned about the mortgage thing? And what do you suppose is going to be available to people who want to refi listening tonight and on a podcast in the future after March 11, which is what it is tonight? Well, you know, if you think you may qualify, you call your bank and you apply. And then, of course, if you're turned down by your bank because you don't meet the ratio, either your debt to income ratio is too high or the loan to value on your house is too low, then you probably qualify for the new program. The loan to value, meaning uh, the house is worth a hundred and hundred thousand, and you owe one hundred and ten. Okay, do the do is that going to put you in better stead to get a re uh, re a redo? That's right. Okay, especially again if you've been turned down by your lender because of that, uh -huh. uh, or if you let's say your payments would cause uh, your your outflow for for housing to exceed 38 percent of your income 30 and then I, I would suppose if any way possible folks can get a lower interest rate through one of these deals that are available now then they have more cash each month and they can do something creative with that indeed the person i was speaking with this morning had a six percent mortgage uh -huh. right? right and and the sales pitch to them was we will reduce your monthly payment because the new rate is four and seven eighths yeah, well, that's so, a good deal, right? Right. So my question was not what are you going to do with the extra money, the $300 or whatever that you're going to save each month. Well, I'm going to save it. I'm going to put it in a savings account or a checking account, however they're going to save it. Wouldn't it make more sense to ask the broker how much money could he give you and still leave your payments the same? And in this case, the difference was $30,000. Now, wait a minute. How much is he going to give you? Yeah. Oh, you mean in equity? In equity. Yeah. So, you know, you're paying wow. you're paying $1,200 a month now on a 6% mm -hmm. note. You mm -hmm. know, you owe, with principal and taxes and everything, you owe 90000 or so. Mm -hmm. And it, it, your loan to value is low, meaning your house is worth a lot more than that. So if you now go to the to the bank and borrow... 120,000 pay off your new first your old first mortgage at 6% and have a new first mortgage for 125,000 let's say at 4.5% your payments are effectively the same. Oh, and you got some cash. And you got 25 grand. Yeah. Now that would entail then going to a different 
lender and do a more traditional refi. Or the same lender. Uh Yeah, You know, it could be the same lender in Mm -hmm. many instances, yeah. Well, that's creative. It is creative, and what it counts on is that your your, uh, credit is good. And as long as your credit is good, you'll check it out, and you'll find money available sub-5. Remember that sub was five. sub five. Yeah, that's what you said. So you got thirty year money now at sub five percent. So dust off your six percent plus mortgages <laughs> and, and walk down to the bank. And as long as your LTV wasn't loan to value wasn't you know something like ninety five, uh, then you should qualify for a, a refinance. What do you mean ninety five? Well, if you had borrowed ninety five percent of the value of your house, maybe that wasn't such a good idea. Uh-huh. Because now, if the house has gone down in value, you might not uh, have enough value there to cover it. So if, if, your, if your note is more than what the value of the house is, that's not good for, for them for to... For a traditional program. For, no, for, you, for a traditional You'll refund. probably have to go through the bailout route. Which, I see. Okay. You know, it's probably available for you, the sure. government subsidy route. Sure, sure, sure. But I, I think the important thing is to encourage folks to, Andrew, to, to call their mortgage company and just see what's out there. It doesn't, Indeed, yeah. I mean, you got nothing to lose. Oh, no, no, right. not at all. Because they'll be happy to get your call, especially yeah. if you've been paying your bill. Probably doing some deals. Yeah. This, this bill, what do they call this omnibus bill? What do they call it? Yeah, like let's keep spending money until we figure out what we're going to do. Yeah, so what is this $410 billion deal? I, I, I didn't, well, that's, I've never quite. Oh, figured. God, we've got to, we haven't passed the budget. Oh, because this and was. And we're out of money. This was last October's budget. Essentially, yeah. Uh-huh. So we need, like, to keep playing mm-hmm. while we figure out what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. So, and we figured that we're, we need to play for, for about $400 billion. I have $400 billion. Yeah. And, you know, $10 billion of it is easy paybacks, easy. Uh-huh. What do they call earmarks or mm-hmm. pork barrel spending? Here's an email from Deborah. Mr. Goss, I was thinking when the 700 and uh, whatever bailout bill first came out that was, isn't that, didn't I hear, I'm paraphrasing, this is long, didn't I hear you say that that was about the amount that the government takes in from income taxes? Yeah. Okay. And so she says, well, why couldn't have they have just, just... Uh, taking a tax holiday. T- taking a tax holiday for yeah. a year. Let people oh, have you. all this money. I love you, dear. And, and then, uh, once again, I paraphrase, and then just to... Uh, take this, give the, you know, create the seven hundred fifty billion and do a note for exactly. it. Exactly. I mean, that would have been a smart thing. But it? here is the problem: is Deborah on the right track? Well, yes and no. Until she finds out who's paying taxes in this country. Oh, I see. You know, the it's the top, same top, yeah, five percent that are paying Very half small. the freight, right? Mm-hmm. So those ah. guys will get a huge break, and then the other ninety five percent of us, while it'll seem like a lot, we'll only get a little break. Oh, it's, so it sounded good. It does sound good. I like this one better. Okay. Send everybody $2,300. You treat us all equally and divide the total that we gave to the banks and just send it to every taxpaying family. And that would be $2,300. Yeah. And that goes up to about 700 something billion. Yeah, I think that's and So that's not uh, terribly inflationary. That's just stimulating. Just as inflationary. Yeah, sure. It's just as it's the same spending. That's the mm-hmm. point. You know, it's the same question that says, well, if the Federal Reserve issues $700 billion and charges interest for it, or if Congress issues $700 billion, it, which is more inflationary? Yeah, so, yeah. so it's all they're, the same. They're thing. equally inflationary. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, 
My name is Patrick Timpone, 888-663-6386. If you have a question for Andrew Goss, email patrick at oneradionetwork.com. Here's an email from Jeff. He wants to know what is this about a tangible common equity stock in Citigroup and intangible comedy, common equity she says, he, he suggests, are we getting it in the shorts once again, to use your, to use your words? Yeah. Are we getting it again? So, I love that. That's like the, uh, what was it? There was another one, uh, non-marketable government securities. Yeah, that right, was right. what I found on the government's balance sheet. So, what are they? They're non-marketable. So, okay, what kind of government securities are they? Non-marketable ones. So, like the intangible ones <laughs> that don't exist? Uh, the non-marketable ones really didn't exist. They were, in effect, off-the-books stock in, in, or off-the-books bonds in mm. the case of the non-marketable government securities. So that's essentially what they're doing by creating this additional class of stock. They're eliminating or removing from this taxpayer the best parts of ownership, which is, you know, put a guy on the board, make decisions, make some noise, let's change this, let's change that. <laughs> The traditional role of a stockholder. I assure you, if some private party came up and bought 40, 50, 60% of Citibank, they'd be running the place. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? So instead, we've diluted by creating this uh, extra category of share now, we've created a, a lesser class of citizen. And that's the one that we, the taxpayers, hold in our role as nationalizers of the banks. Can we assume now, Mr. Goss, that we, the people, will probably lose money on the city deal because they're probably going to let it go. Is that the call, the writer? Because I love the way he put it. No, no, I <laughs> just in said... Shorts, uh, in the shorts. That was a much better description than yeah, mine. Yeah. Um, y- yeah. Pretty yeah, much. So yeah, that's pretty much That's it. what's going to yeah. happen now. Yeah. What's going on with GM? I haven't heard about them for at least two or three days. Well, remember the, over, remember the overarching plan. No. Uh, and they finally... <laughs> they had a plan? Yeah, we talked about it. Yeah. The bankrupting of GM, mm-hmm. right? Oh, and that's the, right. The, the giving up of its pension obligations mm-hmm. to the federal government, mm-hmm. we the taxpayers, and then the productive part being sold off to the private equity groups. So right? that's what's happening. Well, yeah, because they just released the, you heard the B word the other day, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They admitted the B word, mm-hmm. so they they ran that up the flagpole, and then everybody ran and hid mm. to see what happens. And nobody went wild, right? No, when you mentioned nobody bankruptcy of a GM, yeah. nobody went nobody too crazy. Went, ah! So they ran it up the flagpole. So I imagine the deal's probably being hammered as we speak. I noticed Ford, however, struck an independent deal that's going to put their common stock into the workers' pension fund. So that's always the first sign that they're in trouble. What is that now? <laughs> Explain. That didn't sound good. You know, they're going to put their common stock in lieu of pension contributions. So, put, I mean, instead the, the, the of people aren't going to get their pensions and they're going to get well, common gonna stock? Get, they're going to get paid with common Ford stock. Oh, that, so that, that doesn't make them very happy. Well, it kind of saying to the union, look, why don't you buy some Ford stock? Yeah, kind of. And since we owe you, you know, this pile of money for your pension contributions, how about you buy it from us? And we just call it a deal and move on. So a lot hmm. of people thinking about keeping their jobs. Yeah. Uh, the union accepted, and so I think there was a there's a deal done or just freshly done there involving the pension plan buying a bunch of the Ford stock, which is not a good sign for me. Well, folks, as you know, it's hard to keep up with the game without a program, and you got the program right here every Wednesday night on OneRadioNetwork.com. Please pass this link on to everyone you care about, and we'll keep up with it. You can always email uh, moi, Patrick, at OneRadioNetwork.com before the show, and we'll read them so you can be ahead of the game. 
and because uh, sometimes we just get more. But we're going to get to them all tonight. And triple eight six six three sixty three eighty six. Hi, what's your first name? Where are you calling from? Pedro, El Paso, Texas. I'm sorry. My name is Pedro. I'm calling from El Paso, Texas. Okay, Pedro, go ahead. Hello there. I have a question, Andy. Um, I have a situation here uh, where I have 18 acres of land that is fully um, platted, and I have a permit to to create a subdivision there here in El Paso, Texas, for about 87 low um, low to mid income housing. Um, and, um, well, we, the, my question here is, I have an offer from somebody to buy that land from me for a discount, a big discount on what I would make under normal circumstances in the marketplace, which of course we're not under those. And my question is, if I could sell this piece of land for cash now at a huge discount and invest that cash in silver, or simply hold on to the land, um, and mm. try to develop it and then hopefully make uh, bigger profits selling whenever this market picks up a bit. That's yeah, my that, question. What that, would you do? That, that was really my alternate. It really was, are you a developer? Do you? Is that what you do? Not really. That is not what I do. But uh, I, this opportunity came about with a friend who, who, who did that for a living, and uh-huh. I had an opportunity to do this. And, uh, well... Well, we could do it, and yeah. it's not what I intend to do for the rest of my life. It's just whether I choose to take a profit now and then invest it in silver and then hold on to that or just hold on to the land. I mean, it's just that I'm going to do one or the other. I just right. don't know. Well, you know, the, the wiser people than me have said that, you know, bird in a hand and two in the bush and all that. And I remember full well the first coin that I bought and sold for a nice hefty profit. And today, of course, you look back in hindsight and say, damn, I should have held on to that coin, or in this case, that piece of land. But then I thought about, well, the profit that I made allowed me to do other things and buy other, and and the silver is a perfect example. So I think myself, I would, if this wasn't something that I did uh, full time, I would take the money and invest it in other tangibles that are easier to control. Oh, easier to control because one doesn't know what's going to happen with, yeah, the, with it's the a market. Little, a little risky. My general sense, though, is that real estate is good and that if, the, if you have a growth situation in your area, you know, if you're a young guy and you can afford the risk, um, go for it because development has to recover. That has to be the first thing that recovers in this country. Yeah, well, I am relatively young, I guess. I don't know how you define youth, but uh, <laughs> State um, I have the land fully paid for. I have no no dues on it other than a very small tax amount every year. I could wait it out and make the profit. Uh, the housing here is different from the rest of the nation in that uh, we have one of the biggest uh, military, uh, um, I guess, compounds here. And... Uh, so you know, the, the, there's always there's a unique demand here that is not uh, like the rest of the nation. So I don't know, it might pick up earlier than somewhere else. But that was my question: whether I should just uh, take, take uh, yeah, take the short money or hold out for the longer money. Uh, yeah. Certainly, if you invest the money the same way in a tangible, and you mentioned silver, gold coins, same thing. They pretty much follow each other. So, you know, if you see a recovery in the real estate market, then that would mean gold and silver prices would be heading higher. So you'd you'd probably be six of one, half a dozen of the other, equal, equal, just a lot less work in the in the buying something tangible department. Yeah. Developing. Yeah. 18 acres. That sounds like a lot of work. 
Uh, it was a lot of work, actually. Mm-hmm. Right now, well, I just actually hire an engineer. They do all the work now. I mean, yeah. they hard work. Now they do their, they follow their instructions. So the hard part is done. Okay, Pedro. Well, well you you got some, a few ideas. There's something to sleep on. Yep. Thank you very much. Thank you. I triple appreciate Uh-huh. 888-663-6386. Hey, what's your first name? Where are you calling from? This is Jim from Santa Fe. Hi, Jim. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, Mr. Uh, on the uh, uh, tips. Uh, this broker was telling me about tips. He was saying that now's a good time to buy tips because uh, if inflation starts to go up, it, it follows the rate of inflation. Do you That's know anything right. about tips? What are tips, Andrew? Uh, they're the Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, uh-huh. uh, TIPS. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, he's right. If you're stuck in fixed income, you know, tips are the way to go. Uh, because when when there is more inflation, then you get a higher return. You get a higher return. You know, the worst thing you could do would be to lock in a regular uh, a treasury bill or treasury bond at a fixed rate. That's mm-hmm. the bubble part. And the tips uh, they introduced them several years ago that adjust for inflation, but they measure inflation with the CPI. Yeah, which is not really. Yeah, inflation. yeah it's a lagging indicator at at best. Do you understand that, Jim? Yeah, I do. Okay. I have another question for him. If that's okay. Sure, go ahead. Um. Now, I heard you talking the other, I think it was last week you were talking about the Elliott Wave. Now, yeah. uh, I follow the Elliott Wave also, and my understanding is that uh, we're probably going to uh, get possibly a 2,000-point rally starting pretty soon, maybe on the 13th, anywhere from the 13th to the 20th, and it could go up pretty close to the January high, which was a little bit over 9,000. Right. And then I think it's going to go back down, probably lower than where we were this last time. There are, yeah, there are people that are predicting that, Jim. <clears throat> yep, yes, that's yeah. right. If you're a wave theorist, that, that would be what the chart is telling you, right? And mm-hmm. so I, I'm not a chart follower, so I don't profess to be an expert. You probably know more about it than I do. But uh, this type of mentality is what causes people to act in unison. And so I firmly believe, and you know, I've not been one of those people that said, doom and gloom, it's the end of the world. They're, they're definitely not going to take it straight down. So you'll see a rally and a bit of false euphoria and a lot of people plunging back in. So, you know, they'll take a few more sweeps. Because they are controlling whoever they are. There's a lot more stealing to do. Right. Okay, thank you. Okay, so that's an interesting... The stock market then is is manipulated as well, Andrew. Well, I I mean, mean, it's pretty much a a known fact that people sit around program trades. Computers uh, manipulate the stock market more than individuals. There is talk, though, about changing this uptick. Oh, the uptick rule, sure, sure. Where you can't sell a stock short if it goes down that day or something yeah, like that? Yeah, you remember the tip I gave us, right? SKF, you remember that yeah, one? Yeah, right? SKF. Okay. Tell folks what that is. Well, that was just an ultra short of the financials. And mm-hmm. uh, if you look back at the show, I guess it was last June or July. And, you know, if you're really a gambler, that was my pick, SKF. SKF, that, right. Because that was really like a double short, 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 the bank stocks. Just betting that the dollar or the bank stocks are going to go Are going to just lose their entire world. Now... I didn't do it. You sold all your gold and did that. Did you? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I, as I said, I, that's not what I do. You know, I, I'm focused on gold and silver coins. But if but, one were to have done that, of course, the gains are tremendous up till now. Although they've fallen off somewhat of late. So, and the reason that they make such money is they kept continually shorting, 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 and using options to short, which amplifies the return. Mm. And so, guys like Jim Cramer is particularly angry with that 
SKF and thinks it should be banned and that, you know, these types of funds shouldn't be allowed to exist and that individuals shouldn't be able to short stocks unless they're going up, which makes no sense to me. But that's how they believe it should be done. And it's the classic, oh, come on, fight fair, tie your hands behind your back. And that's essentially what's going on. Uh-huh. So, you know, guys that believe that these stocks are going down should be able to short them. That's the whole theory of a free market. Yeah. Well, uh, I read something uh, the other day. OCC data showed on Tuesday that more than 14,000 call trade calls were traded in Shearing Plow, mm. double the daily average. Right. And then last Friday, the last trading day before Merck's bid for Shearing Plow, there were more than 46,000 calls changed hands, six yeah. times the norm. Now, why don't I mean, you give us a pe- quick update on that? Because this is a new thing, right? Now, the last one we talked about was, what, Pfizer and who? Right, right. A $60 billion deal. This is like a $40 billion deal, $40 right? billion deal. And then there's another one cooking, right, between Roche and somebody else. That's right, or, yeah. Like another 40-plus, 50-plus billion dollar deal. Right out of the box, there's $150 billion in this dramatic credit crunch that's being expended to consolidate the food and drug industry. The pharmaceutical. The pharmaceutical right? industry, Huge, yeah. yeah. And so th- this is exactly the model that we've discussed. This is the Jefferson quote, right? Well, which I'm, unfortunately I'm going to have to report uh, the center part of that Jefferson quote is just not holding up to scrutiny. Oh, no, really? Yeah. We have to change it? We might have to. Okay. But because the idea uh, what Jefferson the said was, yes, uh-huh. what Jefferson Banking institutions are more dangerous than standing armies, and I believe the power to issue money should be taken from the banks and restored to the people to whom it rightly belongs. That, I can assure you, without doubt, was said by Thomas Jefferson. Uh, the, oh, but the corporations growing up around well, us yeah, was not? Yeah, that whole thing, man, is under scrutiny by Monticello. Oh, there it was such a other, good one, too. I know. And those unattributable ones are the worst type. Yeah. Uh, so, But they are the authority, so we'll stick with them. And for sure, Jefferson said, I believe banking institutions are more dangerous than standing armies, mm-hmm. and the power to issue should be taken from the banks and restored to the people to whom it rightly belongs. So, so interesting he may have said the rest of that and uh, somebody neglected to uh, attribute it. It's so interesting how these things happen. I quoted a Linus Pauling quote where he said, I've never seen a disease in, uh, in my experience that it wasn't due to a mineral deficiency. And I said it for years because I read it in an article. And then we found out from the Linus Pauling Institute about uh, two years ago, he never said it. Yeah, yeah. I there guess was it another happens. one that yeah, floated around about Kennedy uh, plot to foment uh, the foment a plot right. of the high office of the presidency. Right. Yeah, we tracked that one down for years back <laughs> in the eighties and couldn't ever find attribution. And so, and this is part of the process. So, you know, we're actually in the process of that right now, uh, footnoting everything in sight. Yeah. So, because there's a a lot of disinformation, and I've worried about this for quite some time, and I'm going to say it again. You know, the idea that one bit of bad information destroys just a mountain of good stuff. And there's a lot of people out there now, uh, um, I hope, that will tone down the rhetoric and start talking about facts. And let's get away from conspiracy. I see two great new bills, right? You got Ron Paul's bill to audit the Federal Reserve. Now Uh, we're cooking, right? Now we're cooking. Now we're cooking. Let's find out what they spend the money on. Uh I don't care who owns them right now or abolish them right now. Let's audit them. We'll start with that. And But I like Dennis Kucinich's bill better because it's after my own heart. Which, which is? Nationalize the Federal Reserve. Now, Mr. Kucinich said on C-SPAN that he will introduce this bill, and I'm tracking it as closely as I can. The moment it's introduced, I'll 
let you know you should flood your nationalize nationalize the fed it's the best one yet folks this one takes them over lock stock and barrel and diverts all of the profits and the appropriations to the treasury so we would still create money and uh post it against a debt instrument sure only there is no interest on the debt like the state bank we keep the profit Uh, so hey if we want to charge ourselves five percent interest go ahead but the five percent stays in the treasury so just like you said earlier in the show if you just joined us andrew was talking about the bank of uh, north dakota or is it south dakota north dakota you got it Uh, they they do a state bank and they they put all the money into this bank and then they loan it out and and help people to grow the state and That's grow right. their businesses. Yep. We would just have the state bank of the United States or whatever well, you want. Well, every to one of the 50 states would have their own uh-huh. and then the Federal Reserve Bank system would be owned by the federal government and, the and then the national banks, the regular city groups and all the others would be free to go about the banking business. But- we wouldn't need them. But, Mr. Goss, if these guys are getting together G12 and having their martinis in uh, Zurich and, and all this stuff, and they're talking about making this thing whole one big new world order kind of whoop-de-doo, mm. I mean, is this going to really put the jimmies on trying to ever get something this done? Do I feel like Don Quixote? Yeah. Yeah, uh, a little yeah. bit. I see. But, you know, at the same time... you got to try, though, right? I'm out there. And... It, it, Hey, protect yourself. Get some gold and silver coins, and then write a letter to your congressman. <laughs> uh, because you know, bet that they're first gonna, get the coins, yeah, and then write. Then, yeah, because they're going to do the wrong thing. That's my gut. And that, you know, they're going to duplicate the money supply, erode the value of the dollar, make uh, life miserable for us for the next 30 years because they're firmly in control. Or we're going to overthrow them. But either way, I'm going to bet on the latter and try for the former. But that bet's like going to Vegas and putting putting 50 grand on red and 50 grand on black. I mean, not exactly. Put 50 grand on red and uh, $25 on eight. (laughs) (laughs) because i'll take a shot with the 25 dollars that we might as a nation rise up and and get it together but at the same time i know you know my my red's probably coming up here's an email from vicky regarding the 1973-78 depression you were Mm. just speaking of right i just i just sold a buffalo nickel for 360 bucks it was bought in 76 for 120 right do you think we will see a doubling of everything including our incomes in the next decade yeah yeah and this is what makes it so we start to sound like old fogies when we're talking about i used to be able to get a cup of coffee for a buck I could fill my tank with $30. You know, we start to sound like old fogies because the kids are getting the new higher wages and getting used to the new higher, higher, higher. And we're already done for having worked our entire lives and saved this fixed supply of money. We can't adjust to the, you know, $15 an hour minimum wage and, the, you know, $40,000 automobile starter car. It just doesn't make sense. Here's an email from Mark. Please ask Andrew to comment on the value of collector coins, mm. you know, the ones that he deals in, yeah. in the case of a total collapse of the economy. Worthless. And he's talking about tumbleweeds in the Worthless. streets. Worthless. Uh, roving gangs. Worthless. Currency collapse. Oh, yeah. I know he doesn't what, think that will happen, but yeah. what if? Well, see, That's like a if, good question. It is a great question. Let's say I recommend a $20 gold piece that, absent all of that, will probably outperform gold two to one okay and that's going to cost you two thousand bucks today mm-hmm. when gold is say a thousand dollars all right 900 whatever it is if indeed this panic collapse comes to pass well you could bet gold's going to be fifty thousand dollars an ounce and i would hope you're not mad at me as you're cracking my coin out of its holder and throwing it in the melting pot to get your fifty thousand because that's where you'll be nobody will care 
that it's an uncirculated $20 gold piece, one of, you know, 20. They don't, they won't even care. It's an ounce of gold. Which house on the block would you like? That's the point. So in the worst case scenario where I'm completely wrong and there's an utter collapse of the dollar, value is untradeable. Tumbleweeds in the Tumbleweeds, paper money, worthless. All you've got is an ounce of gold. Mm-hmm. That's all you have. But you're willing to take that risk. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't be mad in that regard. Okay. I'd still have an ounce of gold. Hello, Patrick and Andy. Here's from Stephen in Daytona Beach. I'd like to go back to the topic of refi. I have 79000 balance on an 83000 30-year loan, which I got with my mother in 2005. My mom died, so I'm paying 490 bucks payments on a disability income of 959 Wow. That's over half, right? Yeah. I have pretty good credit. What do you suggest that I do? The house is assessed at two thirty-five. He owns. Oh, he owns seventy-nine. Thank you for your answer, Stephen Daytona Beach. Good question. Stephen left out his age. Ah. But I, what I would do, Stephen, if I were an older gentleman, uh, you know, <laughs> tired of working, whatever, or unable to work, uh, I would take as much as they would say I qualify for based on my nine forty-one monthly uh, income. And then I would pay off the first mortgage and take the difference and put it in a checking account and use it to subsidize my existence because you shouldn't be trying to live on $950 a month. It's got to be extremely excruciating uh, at this point in your life. So you have this equity, use it. Sounds like social security. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, take an extra, you'll have an extra $25 or $30,000, whatever it might be. Even if it's only $10,000 and subsidize yourself for a couple of hundred bucks a month, you'll be able to go for a long time on that extra money. And I hope it improves your lifestyle. Here's another email. There is another thing called tips, which you buy into life insurance policies of people who want to cash out their policies now before they die in a short length of time four to five years. Do you know anything about these? Yeah, there was another one. Uh, somebody else, uh, there's a different name for them. Uh, I'll dog on it. Oh. Forgive me, it eludes me now. Um, but yes, this is the concept that, you know, people knew, know they're going to die and they're willing to give up their life insurance policy for less than uh, what the return would be. You act as a, I'll buy your policy, name me as the beneficiary sort of an arrangement. And then when they finally pass, you get the full face value of the policy. In the interim, they get money that they usually sorely need if they, you know, they're facing a uh, terminal illness. Is there ever a good time for folks to consider these things called reverse mortgages? Sorry, it's a viatical. That's what it was. I was okay. rooting, rooting around for that word. Viatical. Uh, viatical. Uh, reverse mortgages. Tell uh, folks what that is. You know, that's essentially where you lock in the value of your house today. Let's take our previous caller said the house is worth two thirty five. Right. So you go to the bank say, okay, this house is worth two thirty five. You're going to let me draw 80% of that money, and I'm not going to have to make any payments. And when I pass away, you get the house, and whatever I owe on it, I get to keep. What do you mean 80%? Do you take it out in cash? or? or yeah, they, they essentially give you a credit line that you're allowed to draw on they set it up in various fashions you know there are various types but the idea is the same that we lock the value of the house in at today's value Mm -hmm. and then you draw on that until you pass away and as you if you think about that investment for a minute uh you know they're counting on inflation because that's what's going to make the house increase in value while they've locked in the value today by merely giving you access to a credit line but if one has no heirs it's not a a terribly terribly bad idea. I would say instead just go get a regular mortgage. 
What do you mean a regular mortgage? Well, because you could always refinance a regular mortgage and the increase in the value of the property belongs to you. Right. You know, if you lock up your house, say, okay, it's worth 200000 today, you're going to give me a reverse mortgage for 200000 you're going to give me 85% of that or 80% of that, and I can draw on it at this rate. And then when I die, you get the house. Okay, five years from now, the house is worth you know four hundred thousand, and you're still alive. So you so what? Now you've lost two hundred grand. If instead you get a regular mortgage, and five years from now it's worth twice as much, hey, you can sell it and keep the difference. You can refinance it again, pay off the first one, get some more money. Uh, but the increase in the value of the real estate is yours under that. Uh, scenario and not the people that are locked in on your reverse mortgage. If this thing happens that some people are, are saying that they're, the stock market is going to go for a little ride here for a while uh, before it really has a, has yeah. a hard time, yeah, well, will, will gold uh, then necessarily go the opposite direction? No, no. It would no. be a good time to buy? Mm, no? Yeah, it's a great time to buy. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know when's a good time to buy? All the time now because it's locked in. There's no way out of what's coming. They've made the decision. Now it's just a matter of how fast. Is there any way that they, the boys, in all their power with this plunge protection and the printing presses and all this at hand, to ever make what you just said not a reality, that, that they could keep gold yeah, they in can this short range gold. forever? Yeah. To the extent that they're willing to short gold. For the next five years they could do it? Eh, I don't know. Huh. You know, Five years would be a long time with the inflation that's piped into the system. If they had more control of the other end, you know, if they didn't have to create $10 trillion, maybe they could. But the fact that they're pumping all this money into circulation makes the, the situation untenable. If they didn't have to do that, yeah, they could regulate the value of gold re- relatively closely. Okay, and of course, though, when you speak of these things, we're speaking them on, about them on March 11th. 2009. It's kind of in a vacuum. Yes, it so is. It's kind of in a vacuum. I mean, anything, look at all the new tricks they anything, came up with. Well, yeah. anything could also happen geopolitically right. with oil. Right. I mean, it just anything yeah. could happen yeah. in the next yeah. six months, and probably will. And it probably will. Yeah. So, so that is a another feather in the cap for gold and hard assets and real estate and art yeah. and antiques because yeah, yeah. Yeah. because when the unexpected happens and many people think it's not unexpected a war mm-hmm. with Iran or whatever it's going to it's going to uh, um, need there's going to be a need for more uh, new dollars yeah right? yeah yeah right that's the key mm-hmm. the more they have to create that's the lock really and they've made the decision had they chosen to go the other way, it would be a different environment. But is it fair to say, Mr. Goss, that there probably wasn't any decision on Mr. Obama's uh, plate? He, he he probably had his marching marching orders before he even uh, took the oath. Oh, indeed. I mean, yeah. he knew what was up. Yeah, the decisions were made before he came there. Yeah, no question <laughs> about it. He may have been briefed, but they they pretty much knew <laughs> uh, what they were doing. This is what we're going to do. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you what yeah. we're going to do here. Take notes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mr. Goss, it's a pleasure. We had a good time tonight. We burned through a lot of stuff. Thank you, folks. Once again, apologize for earlier when we had some transmission problems, and I'll work on that to uh, assure possibly that we uh, it doesn't happen again with inclement weather here. Something happened with our Internet off and on, but most of you were able to stick around. Andrew, give your phone number once again before we say adios. 800-468-2646. 800-468-2646. And you're there most every day. Yeah, they know where to find me. Yeah, yeah. All right, babe. Thanks a lot. My name is Patrick Timpone. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Don't forget, Andrew's here every Wednesday, every Wednesday night on The Real World of Money. 
We're going to do a little money thing this Saturday with our, our man over in Germany, Andrew Rude uh, Randolph Bus, and get a, a European perspective. And he said things are going to uh, hell in a handbasket over there. I talked with him today, and uh, he's in Berlin. And that's going to be on One Radio Network Saturday, 6 p.m., 6 to 8 p.m. Central Saturday with a uh, financial guy over in Germany. And we're going to see what's going on over in Europe. I love you all very much. Thanks for joining me and allowing us to come into your homes every night and on Wednesday on The Real World of Money. My name is Patrick Timpone. See you tomorrow night at 7. Take care. Know the Source on One Radio Network.